Hello and welcome to another edition of NEMT Radio. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and the topic this week is pre-hospital obstetric care and the rise in US maternal morbidity and mortality rates. And to help me discuss this really important issue, and it's not just a job or a problem for OBGYN, for obstetric specialists in hospital. It's actually an issue that we all have to pay very serious attention to because, of course, we're all involved in literally this chain of survival. So to help me talk about this today, our guest is uh, Dr. Emily Nichols, uh, MD, who is a board-certified doc in both uh, adult and paediatric emergency medicine and has worked in the cities of New York, Philadelphia, Baton Rouge, and of course, where she is now in New Orleans. Additionally, she's also worked in community clinics in urban and rural settings in the US, Costa Rica, Belize, Haiti, Brazil, and South Africa. Exceptionally well-traveled. And what makes her an expert in this, not only is she the EM doc, the the emergency medicine doc, uh, the board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doc, but she's also a new mom and almost became one of these statistics. So, Emily, welcome. Hi. Thank you, Rob. I'm grateful to be here. That was a long intro, and hopefully we set the scene, but we're going to talk about morbidity and mortality rates. Uh, But as you were telling me before we hit record, and I I want to just sort of discuss this. So, you're a new mom. Congratulations. Uh, We discussed that uh, baby is just four months old, so we could also do an episode on sleep deprivation, but we'll save that for another time. But uh, it didn't go as smoothly as perhaps uh, it could have done. You are absolutely right. I'm so grateful to have a new baby boy at home. And you're right. um, Sleep training is just starting. So right now we're all lacking sleep. Um, But it was a very unexpected first couple of months with our new child. Um, About a week after I came home, I ended up back in the hospital with um, an additional two surgeries. I had severe postpartum hemorrhage, and um, that led to an unexpected hysterectomy and mass transfusion protocol and a night in the ICU and several weeks of recovery. And so I'm just grateful to be alive and certainly happy to be able to share my story so that others may learn. Great. So we we have a depth of experience, both personal and professional in this. So let me read you some statistics, uh, both from CDC and also from the American Medical Association. In 2020, maternal deaths increased from 861 to 1,200, which is a 40% increase. Statistically, maternal mortality rate is 32.9 deaths per 100,000 live births which is up from 20.1% per 100,000 in 2019. That's a 40% increase. Now, notably, the mortality rate for African-American women is 69.9% deaths per 100,000, which is 2.6 times higher uh, than the norm. And so those numbers are eye-watering, and we have to pay extreme attention. As I said in the intro, that you know, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum care not only is a job just for the OBGYN folk that work inside the hospital, it's everybody's responsibility, and particularly uh, pre-hospitally, because, of course, we are at the tip of the spear, and we're going to be first on scene to have to deal with uh, the, these issues. And so, I mean, it's a topic that we can probably break down into parts, Emily, and, and, and perhaps offer our listeners out there in the sort of pre-hospital care world some, some takeaways, some top tips, and some hopefully some sound advice. I absolutely agree. You know, so much of the care of 
pregnant women happens outside of the emergency department, um, certainly prepartum, they're in their clinic visits. And then once a woman gets past 20 weeks, she actually bypasses the emergency physicians for all of her emergent care. And so it's not something that we who practice emergency medicine in the ED see very often. And so our pre-hospital setting is really where most of the emergent cases happen. And we have to start thinking about more um, of an opportunity to intervene in those situations because there's a lot that we could do to prevent um, morbidity and mortality, I think. Right. And also, we have a problem. One of the things we've discussed on NEMT Radio and other podcasts, honestly, I've been involved with, of course, is the, you know, the shrinkage in rural and volunteer EMS systems. And of course, access to care, particularly, uh, you know, for pregnant women is access to care if you're in that rural area becomes a challenge just going for a regular appointment, let alone in an emergency. And so we have to, you know, make sure that we're still keeping our rural and, uh, you know, also tribal services working and going because without them, there's going to be a lot more, a lot more issues. So there's an access to care issue that we have to think about. Um, and when we're campaigning, right, we can't let these rural and volunteer services close or demise because they're an essential part of life-saving, not only for infant uh, mortality rates, but also for just general emergency. I fully agree. There's such an opportunity for um, community paramedicine to really play a role in prenatal care um, and also postpartum care and to really start um, serving as more of a continuum to ensure that our patients who are in rural settings can still have access to a qualified provider for the entire 10 months and then subsequent several months after they deliver, because most of the complications that we find are preventable. Um, and they are, um, it's women who lack access or who um, already were starting at a lower socioeconomic um, level. I'm blubbing at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm going too long. Um, but women who, um, who historically have not had the same level of um, access to the care and may also be of lower socioeconomic status and thus have been placed at higher risk just by that. Um, those are the ones that we really need to focus on uh, how we can intervene through telemedicine and home health vis visits. I think that's an opportunity for us to really improve outcomes. Well, let's rewind on that sort of the, the final half of your sentence there. So from an EMS system perspective, how should we be prepared to in terms of women that need assistance, you mentioned telemedicine. So talk about that, but also in terms of what extra training or what extra knowledge providers look out for. And of course, I'm talking about, you know, bias issues as well, perhaps. So run us through a kind of a checklist of things we should be thinking about, if you don't mind. So when you're evaluating a woman for um, potential obstetric complications during their pregnancy, what we found when we look at these rising rates of mortality is that it really is through preventable chronic illness. And so women who already have high blood pressure, who are already diabetic, um, who already might have cardiovascular disease, those are the persons who tend to develop preeclampsia and eclampsia um, and postpartum hemorrhage. It really is an issue of persons with chronic morbidity that later on are developing um, conditions when they get when they then have a child, and so that is something that we can identify from just chart reviews, um, from historically looking at our patients um, when they're in the back of our rig and noticing that they have 
these underlying risk factors. And so that's something that we could easily identify high-risk patients and work with our local health departments to develop a system where our paramedics could be able to go into homes and offer those home health visits when someone can't necessarily go into the tertiary care center for their regular OB checkups. That's certainly an opportunity for um, EMS to really play a pivotal role in mortality. So if you're the medic on the truck, we arrive at a location. In terms of that patient assessment, clearly we can see that uh, we're dealing with uh, a pregnant woman. Take us from there in terms of, you, you mentioned history, but in terms of the key indicators to look out for and the key alerts and alarms that the medic should take when they get those answers back and obviously just a, a visual assessment of the patient. Yes. So even when we're looking at someone, certainly if they're pregnant, that's going to trigger you to ask questions about um, have they had any complications. But oftentimes we hear it as an aside when someone's five or six weeks pregnant or 10 or 12 weeks pregnant, um, long before we usually think about obstetric emergencies. And that's when we should be starting to ask those questions. And so when someone happens to mention, oh, I'm pregnant, but I stubbed my toe, you could also ask questions about heart disease, whether they've had high blood pressure. And those are really the leading causes of maternal mortality. And so we can identify whether or not someone's at high risk long before we expect for them to really have those complications and ensure that they're well connected to the system. And if they're not, we can actually become a part of the system so that they can be connected on a regular basis. I would imagine because of the complexity of the issue and honestly, because of the, the, the let's call it, be generous and say the non-comprehensive education a paramedic gets in this issue, what options does the medic have when they arrive uh, in, in the home? Absolutely. So when a medic arrives in the home, certainly transport for that initial emergency needs to be considered, but then really creating a system where we can um, flag patients and the care then would start after that initial transport. So ideally having a robust paramedicine um, team in your EMS agency that can go back and look at these charts and work with the hospitals so that we can then follow up with the patients. And it might be a phone call, it might be a home visit, and might also just be making sure they have the phone number to local facilities where they can um, seek better prenatal access than they might have. All of those things are really an opportunity for us to intervene that we haven't traditionally thought about um, because we have been so focused on transport. But so much of obstetric care is really about proper planning and preventative care before the child comes out or that there's any complication with the delivery. I mentioned training and education. So as as an EMS medical director that you are, and of course, in other systems you've been, what extracurricular education and training have you uh, initiated and delivered to, to your folk? We've actually done a lot of training recently because unfortunately, we've had a lot of premature uh, deliveries that have happened out of hospital. Um, that's certainly something that we're seeing on the rise in our region of the country. Um, and so we've been working with providers to ensure that they are comfortable managing these cases. We also have been working closely with the hospitals to be sure that we're identifying um, eclampsia for what it is um, and ensuring that the proper treatment is being given for that condition. Also noticing hypertension um, and um, a lot of times our initial response is to assume it's due to anxiety or pain, um, but we want to make sure that we're recognizing the risk for um, hypertensive disorders during pregnancy. And 
So much of what happens in the pre-hospital setting really does dictate what the emergency physicians do in the hospital. And that's something we underestimate. And so we're making sure that our providers are sharing when they have a heightened suspicion for um, complications of pregnancy so that the ED docs are also considering that in their workup in the hospital. Excellent. Thank you for that. And let's just take a quick break. Since 2010, EMS on the Hill Day has brought EMS professionals together in Washington, D.C. to advocate for the needs of our patients and the EMS profession. Join us on Capitol Hill from April 17th and 18th, 2024, to visit with congressional leaders and staff to help them understand the needs of EMS in our communities and states, especially during this critical time. We'll begin with a pre-Hill briefing to meet as a group, hear the details of our request to Congress, and answer questions. Hill Day includes both seasoned advocates and first-time EMS advocates, so it's a great opportunity to network, learn, and gain insight on the federal legislation and its impact on state legislative efforts. Register today. The fee is only $20, which includes two receptions and congressional scheduling services. Thank you, uh, Chief Julius Jackson, uh, talking about uh, EMS on the Hill, which is coming up very soon. Please make sure that uh, you register and come and join us uh, in our national capital in Washington, D.C. to walk the great halls, by the way. Bring your Fitbit with you because I can guarantee you'll get at least 15,000 steps uh, in the day. It's a great exercise and a great way to legislate for great EMS initiatives. I'm talking to Dr. Emily Nichols, but before we go back, don't forget, if you're listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, make sure you like, subscribe. If you're looking at your iPhone, I say this every time, but look at it. There's a little plus mark there. Have a look at that. Hit that plus mark. It means you've liked, you've subscribed. And every time an episode of NEMT Radio drops, you'll get notified. And you can listen to us. You can listen to Dr. Nickel. You can listen to some of the amazing conversations. Look at the back catalogue. We've got some great things, some great references that you can listen to. So, talking to Dr. Nickel, thank you for bearing with that uh, that uh, monologue there as we come back from the break. Uh, hopefully, you have liked and subscribed. I'm sure you have. One of the things you kind of got into just as we went to the break there, you were talking about, you know, when you were taking a patient history, when you're trying to come up with a diagnosis, when you're trying to come up with what's wrong with a patient, there is a little bit of bias that goes into perhaps decisions that you're making. And I think we have to talk about, I mentioned in the statistics, of course, you know, the poor stats for African-American women. So there is potentially bias issues. There's potentially implicit bias uh, when we're going into a patient's house and, and trying to come up with, with some sort of outcome for them. Obviously, we've talked about this before. Talk about how we need to be aware of bias and combat it and, and get away from doing it. Yes, you've hit it on the nail. It really does have to be an institutional approach um, where we start considering implicit bias on every patient that we care of, particularly when it comes to maternal health. The statistics show that women of color, Black women, um, you know, non-Hispanic uh, Black mothers, they are actually experiencing higher death rates, higher complications. Um, even those of high income still have uh, similar uh, poor health outcomes within the U.S. And a lot of that stems from um, chronic conditions, but even in an emergent case, it's sometimes just history taking. Um, for example, I had, as we discussed, um, severe postpartum hemorrhage. And as a physician, 
with a decent income. Um, you know, even I had bias against myself. It wasn't something that I expected that I anticipated becoming a statistic. Um, and yet, um, you know, that was something that, um, happened to me and, um, we have to ask those questions of every patient. We can't make assumptions about someone's socioeconomic status. We also need to consider language barriers um, when we're talking to patients and making sure that we're asking questions that might seem uncomfortable um, or might seem impossible until we dig in and we find that that person really does have um, heart disease or is at risk for cardiomyopathy or just could not get to the doctor for whatever reason. Um, those are things that we have to consider for every patient. Indeed. And there are classes, papers, podcasts, some, some some great work by some great physicians and colleagues uh, on bias, on implicit bias, how to be aware of it, how to combat it. And I will actually find some of those uh, and put in the show notes, because again, that's something that we need to, to pay attention to uh, in every patient that we see. And uh, that that's absolutely key. So sort of going back to our checklist that we made before we started, and I'm just going to sort of run back through it and, and make sure that we've checked it all off. So access to care, we need to make sure that, uh, you know, we're part of that access to care, whether we're in a, in a city or whether we're out in the middle of literally, you know, the, the great American country that we're in. We must make sure that we continue to serve the population. Health disparities, I think we've discussed that. And uh, we need to be very aware that, uh, you know, we are part of the outcome for the population at risk. Provider training and resources. Uh, you've mentioned some of the things that you have done, and we'll find some some other links to put into the show notes as well. Communication and coordination. Obviously, we are part of the continuum of care for the patient that we see emergently, but obviously we must make sure that we connect them back into the hospital and we perhaps through telemedicine can do a follow-up. And of course, that's one of the things that we are looking for in this next generation of emergency medical response and treatment is to actually increase the level of uh, telemedicine encounters. So I think we've checked that one off. And health education is is absolutely key here. Is there anything that we need to add? This is my classic Rob question. Is there anything I've forgotten to ask or anything you need to tell me? You know, I think you've really addressed a lot. I think uh, going back to the education piece, really just reviewing causes of maternal death. Um, there's so much basic training that we could do on a regular basis um, and to help us think outside of the box. For example, we don't often think about sepsis when we think about a pregnant patient. And so um, ensuring that we are adding that to our differential diagnosis. Um, when we think about um, our pre-hospital blood, we don't necessarily think about it during deliveries. Um, so really just expanding our the knowledge we already have and ensuring that it's including the unique cases of obstetric emergencies is so critical. And there are dedicated classes for it, but some of it really could just be implemented into the day-to-day -day training that we do. Thank you for that. So this is a fairly short, sweet, but sharp uh, episode of NEMT Radio. We want everybody to be aware that we have to be aware, to be aware of, of the issue, to be aware of the edu extra education we need to get, to be aware of the bias that perhaps uh, some show when they are dealing with uh, the population at risk. Before we go, what are you up to actually at New Orleans EMS? Because you're always up to some really great stuff. So uh, what's happening in New Orleans? Well, we are working pretty intensely on um, neonatal resuscitation education, actually. 
Um, so in that mommy baby vein, we are, um, you know, focusing in on that. And certainly our pre-hospital blood program is always a shining moment. We're doing some exciting things with ultrasound here in the city too. So a lot of good things on the horizon. That's uh, a, a really cool list of stuff. And obviously you're doing stuff that's related to this podcast, but uh, a lot of people have been watching your blood program. And so what are the latest results? What's the latest update? What's the latest lessons you've identified before we go? We actually just had an article come out in the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery last month going over our outcomes from our first cohort of trauma patients. Um, and we've had really successful outcomes. We're finding that um, mortality has decreased. Um, we're really continuing with larger scale trials and looking to extend out of trauma um, into some more medical um, indications for pre-hospital blood. And, um, expanding our pediatric opportunities to give blood. And so we're really excited with where that program has gone. We definitely feel like it's making a difference in this city. Well, it sounds like you just signed yourself up for another episode of NEMT Radio to come back and talk about uh, blood. But I think you also gave that uh, presentation and lecture at NEMSP recently as well. I sure did. It was so fun to be on the main stage talking about it. It really has been um, a passion project of ours down here in New Orleans, and it's really fun to share this data and these successful outcomes. Okay. Well, hopefully if you send it over, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we drifted off into what else are you up to because that's a really cool subject. And I know a lot of people are watching that. So uh, thank you for that update. So it's about time to say thank you very much, Dr. Emily Nichols. Uh, how can we follow you or how can we keep in touch with you if uh, people had any questions for you? Thank you. I have had so much fun doing this with you, Rob. Um, I certainly can be reached. Um, the easiest way is really through the New Orleans EMS webpage. Um, and so you can find uh, my tab there and a link to me. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Great. Well, uh, again, uh, this is not the first time we've spoken. Uh, you are a an amazing doc and a great friend. And thank you for now being a great friend of NAMT Radio. And I know we're going to have you back and to talk about other clinical issues. So for the moment, Dr. Emily Nichols, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you. So that was another edition, as we just said, of NEMT Radio. Uh, NEMT Radio is published every two weeks. So uh, again, if you've liked and subscribed, you'll get notification of that. Uh, but we're looking forward to bringing you the next exciting episode in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, my guest was Dr. Emily Nichols. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now. <laughs>